0: (laughs) listen all you new yorkers
1: what's up everybody it's 10 o'clock on monday night which means it's time for the next best thing i'm your host jonathan b lerner and i'll be with you for the next two hours Right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do. And that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History... Today is January 30th and on this day in history, in 1844, Richard Theodore Greener became the first African American to graduate from Harvard University. On this day in 1847, the town of Yerba Buena was renamed San Francisco, probably a good decision on this day in 1933 the lone ranger was heard on radio for the first time the program ran for two thousand nine hundred and fifty six episodes and ended in 1955 on this day in 1933 Adolf Hitler was named the German Chancellor whoops on this day in 1948 Indian political and spiritual leader Mahatma Gandhi was murdered by a Hindu extremist on this day in 1958 The first two-way moving sidewalk was put in service at Love Field Airport in Dallas, Texas. The length of the sidewalk was through the airport and it was about 1,435 feet. On this day in 1964, the U.S. launched Ranger 6. The unmanned spacecraft carried television cameras and was intentionally crash-landed on the moon. The cameras did not return any pictures to Earth, so success. In 1972, in Northern Ireland, British soldiers shot and killed 13 Roman Catholic civil rights marchers. The day is known as Bloody Sunday. On this day in 1989, the US Embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan was closed. On this day in 1997, a New Jersey judge ruled that the unborn child of a female prisoner must have legal representation. He denied the prisoner bail reduction to enable her to leave the jail and obtain an abortion. Awesome! On this day in 2002, Japan's, la- Japan's last coal mine was closed. The closures were due to high production costs and cheap imports. And of course, they wanted to save the earth. And lastly, on this day in 2005, in Iraq, The first free parliamentary elections since 1958 took place. That was 2005, and boy, they sure are flourishing ever since, aren't they? (laughs) Not really. Not really at all. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows? Perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come but probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner. Stay tuned. Oh my god, it's Monday night, so you know what that means. It's time for The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner, here with you every Monday night from 10 to midnight. God, wasn't that great. We started with a little I should probably learn how to talk if I'm going to do a talk show on a radio. It's now been a week, little more than a week under in Trump's America. And for the love of God, we're still alive. We're still here. Barely. Um barely. Good Lord, what's going on here? Uh you know what? A lot of stuff's going on here. Donald Trump has, you know what, we're going to get into this in a second. Let's not spoil the mood by talking about that orange-faced, puffed-up crow's cock right off the bat. We're going to hold that for later. First, let's talk about how much it sucks living in New York City. And God, doesn't it just suck living here? Um, I don't mean to be negative, but I just call it like I see it, and a lot of things about living here suck. Let me tell you a little story, not about a man named Brady, but about me, a man named John B. Lerner, who lives in New York City and really doesn't like having to battle the rats. Let's all say it together. Rats. Okay, I hope we did it. Um, rats, when I first moved here to New York City, rats were, you know, such a common sight that it didn't take long to kind of get used to them in a way, but I remember telling people, you know, where I came from in Kansas, and then I went to college in Indiana, you know, we would see squirrels running around outside. Here, you don't really see a whole lot of squirrels, you see rats, and that's disgusting. Well, I don't know about you, but let me tell you about me. When I'm walking along the sidewalk, I walk a lot. I like to walk, it clears my head, it helps me think. I need to be doing something physical to kind of clear my head, help me think. So when I am not on the Nordic track, I go walking out in the city. Um, and at night, once night falls, every time I approach and or pass one of those huge piles of garbage, which you see anywhere and everywhere here in the city, another scourge on this wonderful city huge piles of garbage, garbage everywhere. What the hell is that all about? Can't we make a law about putting them in bins? I mean, what the fuck? Uh, every time I walk past one of those mountains of garbage, I kind of cringe a little bit, get nervous, because six times out of 10, what happens? You see the rats go scurrying across, and I don't want to see the rats go scurrying across right when I approach the mountain of garbage, and it always is when you approach the mountain of garbage because when they hear people coming, that's they get spooked and they head for the hills or the or the building in which they're you know scrum- rummaging through the garbage in front of. Hope it's not your building, but um, yes, so the other night, and when I say the other night, I mean two nights ago, Saturday night, I'm walking down the street, minding my own business. And I actually am walking home. I'm in Brooklyn. This is right near, probably, Grand Street. It's really close to that bar, Metropolitan, off the Lormer stop on the L train, in case anyone wants to know where to avoid moving forward. But I'm walking home. I'm walking on the sidewalk. I come up to one of those mountains of garbage. And I actually for some reason, maybe it's because I've just kind of, you know, my skin has hardened over the years and I just don't think about it as much anymore, but I didn't actually give it much thought as I walked past the mountain of garbage. That'll never happen again. So I'm walking past and I don't step on a monstrous rat, a gargantuan mammoth behemoth rat. I step into a monstrous mammoth behemoth rat. Oh, my God. So I don't, like I said, and I mean, I didn't step on it. I like kicked the shit out of it. And I swear to God, this thing, it felt like, it felt like I was kicking a dog or something because it was so weighty. And I, honest to God, the second my foot made contact with anything here in the city, I'm like, oh. I mean, I would scream, but I don't want to hurt your ears into this lovely microphone. It, it just, my mind goes out the window, and all I do is want to get the hell out of there. I don't know why I just snapped. So I kick this thing, and it goes scurrying off like a deer, having just been hit by a car. This was a monster rat. I mean, it was huge. Think about it. What? How big must a rat be for you to get under its hind legs and kick its stomach and like have it go up into the air but land and then go scurrying off. I mean, it's, think about that. If you see a normal sized rat, even a big New York City rat, if you get under its legs and kick, it's going to go flying. This thing did not go flying and I'm not a small person and I'm walking with a purpose, folks. I got to get, got to get wherever I'm going. I have my headphones in, got my sunglasses on usually, even if it's at night because I wear my sunglasses at night so I don't have to talk to homeless people. Here's my theory. If they don't know that you can't... Look, if you have headphones in and sunglasses on and you just walk past them without saying a word, they don't know. You know, you didn't just ignore them. You couldn't see or hear them. How will they know the difference? They never will. That's trip tips. Tips. Tips of the trade. But anyway, I kicked the crap out of this monstrous rat... And I'm not recovered from it. Okay? Jesus. Mary and Joseph. I hate walking. I love walking the streets of New York at night. Like I said, it helps me think. It clears my mind. God knows there's a lot of a lot of crap on my mind lately that I need to clear out because we're living in Trump's America. But for the love of God, there are monster rats out there among us. So everyone be careful. Don't be eaten by the monster rats i almost was and i still haven't recovered have you oh my god so that's what's going on in my world that's my news and my sweet life um what's going on in the news in the world you're listening to the next best thing Here's what's making news tonight. I have played cuts of Chris Cuomo interviewing people like Kellyanne Conway, Newt Gingrich, because I think he does a good job of staying pragmatic and of asking the good questions. Well, recently he was interviewing a man by the name of Greg Phillips, Greg Phillips is basically the single entity providing Donald Trump with, you know, totally made up information about voter fraud. He has convinced Donald Trump that there are millions and millions of people who voted illegally out there. Why Donald Trump should care? I don't know. He won. But that's where he's getting his information. So. Chris Cuomo had him on his show, Greg Phillips, and he basically was just wanting to know what information, what, you know, what um, techniques did you use to come to this conclusion? And can you show them to us? Can you can you prove it to us? And he said, no, he said that they have the answer. They know this happened, but they won't tell us why. I just want to, you know, this is a pretty long interview, but. Just listen to some of it, and you make your own conclusion, if this guy seems legit.
0: into ...claims of widespread voter fraud. It hasn't happened yet, but he said he was going to do it, so we're waiting. Our next guest first tweeted the claim that 3 million people voted illegally on November 11th. That's Greg Phillips. He tweeted, completed analysis of database of 180 million voter registrations, number of non-citizen votes exceeds 3 million, consulting legal team. Now, two days later, he sent another tweet. We have verified more than 3 million votes cast by non citizens. We are joining at vote to initiate legal action. Hashtag unrigged. Those tweets went wild. They were disseminated by many right wing sites. They became apparently a source for Donald Trump's voter fraud beliefs. Greg Phillips joins us now. I appreciate you doing this. Thank I know you. this has become increasingly uncomfortable, but it matters.
2: I'm glad to be here. Thanks.
0: First, what's your take do you accept the premise that the president may have through back channels picked up on what you put out in those initial tweets as a suggestion which we'll get to and that is motivating his current belief well
2: i mean he's the president of the united states it's uh, clearly way above my pay grade um, you know our, our analysis is what it is and we believe that truth is truth and if if the president and his team uh uh believe the same is true. Then, then uh, maybe they are. But, but uh, our motivations in in the in, in initiating all of this had nothing to do with President Trump.
1: Okay. okay, so he just said a lot of words. He said a lot of words that meant nothing.
0: Okay, so what is the truth? To use the word, um, do you know and can you prove right now that three million people voted illegally?
2: Yes. Um, we, uh, began this effort years and years ago. All
1: right. Do you know and can you prove that 3 million people voted illegally? He said yes. All right. This should be a quick interview. How? He'll tell us. Thank you very much. That's very interesting. All right. We'll see you later. No, that's not how the interview goes. Here he goes.
2: Um, we have developed a database of 189 million voting records. Um, We've augmented that database with everything from geocoding to all sorts of of identifying information. We've developed algorithms that allow us to first verify identity. We can verify residency. We can verify citizenship, felon status, and all of the other factors that go into making a, a legal registered voter.
0: So you have the proof. Yes. Because when you tweeted those things and the media came to you about it, you said, hold on. Uh, this is just a tweet, uh, I'm just some guy, I haven't proven it yet, this is what I think I'll be able to do in the future, right? You did say that.
2: Well, I don't think I ever said that I think. I mean, our... our but you uh,
0: hadn't done it yet, what I'm saying. When you initially tweeted it, you admitted you hadn't done it yet. Is no, that that's true?
2: not That's not correct. Because
0: that's what was picked up in the Statesman,
2: Well, the in sta- an interview with you. Well, the Statesman was wrong, um, uh, as is often the case. Um, our... Cons- All
1: right, I just have to point out, did anyone else hear, well, I don't ever think I said I think. Well, that's well, that's being proven right here and now. Thank you, sir. And the statesman was wrong, which is ob- which is often the case. Oh, good. He's clearly a Trump supporter because now we have another person being like, oh, it was in a newspaper. Oh, you can't believe them newspapers.
2: Concerns all along were simply that what we're talking about here is we're going to, um, should we push this out there, we're talking about, uh, uh accusing 3 million people of multiple felonies it's a it's a federal felony to register to vote and it's a federal felony to
1: vote oh federal felony not you know not a local felony a federal felony
2: right um so if we jumped out there with with you know just our initial analysis rather than refining it and quality checking it we'd be out there with um you know potentially some people that really aren't committing felonies are felonies.
0: Well, how did you not do that in your first tweet? Just as a matter of fact. You said we we know that three million illegally voted. You did that already. We didn't name a soul, though. We didn't name a person.
1: By the way, I have to point this out. He keeps talking about we, like, you know, him and his staff. This guy doesn't have a staff. This guy doesn't have a team. You can tell. This guy speaks for himself. He sits alone probably in his mother's basement and he is, he alone is com or whatever the hell he runs. Okay, so let's just point that out right here now.
0: And you still have it? But we will. Do you have the proof? Yes. Will you provide it? Yes. Can I have it? No. Why? Right there.
1: That exchange. You You're accusing three million people of what you call federal felonies. Stupid, redundant. That's like saying, I got up at 3 a.m. in the morning people do that because you know people are kind of dumb but do you have okay so you've you're accusing three million people of felonies correct yes do you have the proof yes you can prove it yes you have the analysis yes can i see it yes right now no oh how convenient how convenient.
2: quality checking it we'd be out there with um you know
0: yeah, we just as a matter of fact,
2: you well, we said,
0: we, we know that 3 million illegally voted. Right. You did that already. We didn't name a soul, though. We didn't name right. a person. And you still have it? But we will. Do you have the proof? Yes. Will you provide it? Yes. Can I have it?
2: No. Why? We're not... We're. The rest of the tweets, there was a whole series of tweets, right. those were taken slightly out of context, but but one of the key tweets that we right. have, have, have stuck with all along is, we're going to release all of this to the public. We're going to release our methodology, we're going to release the raw data, we're going to release our conclusions, we're going to release everything to the public. When? Um, as soon as we get done with the checks.
0: The Wait, hold on. So, so you're not done checking it yet?
2: The challenge is this. Let's just say that we're talking about verifying identity. Identity has a number of different components. Somebody might mistype a name, for example, is Greg with two G's, Greg with one G. Right. That that can be fixed with, with a, a, a type of algorithm called fuzzy logic. Right? We can go in and fix that. Two G's really is one G.
1: These are just a whole lot of words that don't mean anything.
2: Or we think. But there's an element of risk in that. Next you have to go to a dissimilarity index. How likely is it that Greg Allen Phillips right. is Greg Phillips? Right. And that, that creates another, even though it can be resolved, it creates another element I get of it. It's
0: very complicated. So those pile
2: themselves up. And even if you ended up with, say, a risk factor or a, a false negative or false right. positive uh, proportion of, say, 1%, you're still looking at the possibility of, of 30,000 people being accused sure. of felonies. So the first problem that you have... It's in our interest in everyone else's best interest that we take our time. Time I know. is not as important as veracity. Well,
0: that's absolutely true. However, you're giving yourself the benefit of uh, some facts here which aren't in your favor, which is you already said you made that you proved this, right. okay? Right. Now, you're saying why you don't want to put out the information because you're not 100% yet about who everybody is that you think they are. Well, those fight each other, right? Because if I say, I know, and then you say, great, prove it, and I say, I can't because I'm not done checking whether or not I'm sure. No. It I, I, sounds unconvincing. Do sure. you understand I, why?
2: I, I, I do understand, but, but it's no different than, say, a poll. You guys quote polls all the time, right? It They're, better
0: be a lot well, different. Plus or because minus. Because that is a guesstimate. A plus poll or minus, is a
2: guesstimate. But, it's, but they've actually talked to people. So what you're publishing is you're publishing statistics, right? And so you're publishing a number that it's, you know, plus or minus 3% that we believe this, this veracity. They don't publish the people what the people said, right? They don't publish the names of the people. And that's what we're doing. We're going back in and checking. We know the numbers are right. We're going back in
0: and checking. But that's if if that's different. No. It's different because that's a representative survey of a of a group. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. But the basic difference well, is
2: Well, three, 3 million is a representative survey of no, But, better,
0: million to, but it, right, but it better not be a survey. It better be a fixed number of votes that were wrongfully cast because it can't be a guess. It can't be an estimate. Right. Because this is about the legitimacy of a democracy. Exactly. You've put it on the line saying it is illegitimate. You've said our process was illegitimate, and you can prove it, you're now saying, well, we're not there yet making sure we have all the names right. That's what I'm hearing.
2: We are interested in free and fair elections. Going back to 1984, federal grand juries and others have determined tens of thousands of non-citizens were registered to vote vote and voting.
0: Well that I don't know, you know the studies, I'm sure you know this researchers. Well.
2: That's a federal grand jury report.
0: Well, but but what is it based on, right? They have Amakai come in, right? They have friends of the court come in and present data to the grand jury. What I'm saying is everyone who's looked at this said, Is there fraud in our system? Yes. Do we have people who register wrongly, who vote impro- The shenanigans by parties and government infrastructures? Yes. But the minimis. Small, the number of prosecuted cases in the dozens. Over a billion votes were surveyed, and they came back with marginal results. You're saying you can prove three million people. The only other person who says that is the President of the United States. So you've got to prove it.
2: I'm saying what's happened here is that over time, uh, While well, we do have those shenanigans, as you call them, the actual fraudsters that are out uh, trying to sway elections. What's happened over time is that we've allowed a system.
1: Who is trying to sway elections? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This guy has, has looked up terms to use to make himself sound smart, to make it sound like he knows what he's talking about. He is talking nonsense. And Cuomo is not falling for his bullshit. I love this.
2: That has, um, uh, in essence, institutionalized the frauds so if someone comes into the federal registration system and checks the box and says i'm a citizen and no one ever checks that and that 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 person ends up on the voter rolls how how can how can we then declare that we have a, a a free and fair set of elections if we have tens of thousands millions of people that have been allowed to to lie or other- well, but
0: you but you're making an assumption on an unknown you can't know how many people check the box wrongly. But we do. We've what, gathered that information. And you have to show us the proof. We will. You
1: are full of shit. You have not gathered anything. There's nothing that you could gather that would tell you that. You'd have to go to these individual states, these individual counties, and get their voter rolls, go down each person, check... And then verify each one individually. There's no way this guy did that because he can't have access to that information. He's full of shit. He's going to do what Donald Trump did when it comes to his tax returns. He's going to put it off and 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 put it off, and put it off until hopefully people just kind of stop talking about it. That is what is going on here. If you can't tell, then let me explain it to you. That's what's going on here.
0: But you haven't. We will. But why would I believe your conclusion if you won't show me your method and means and analysis?
2: Whether you believe it or not doesn't mean that it's not true. Whether you have the information or not doesn't mean that I don't have the information. Right,
1: but... Oh, my God. These are classic signs of deceit, fraud, ironically, and lies. You can just tell by his body language. I know you guys can't see this, but you can look it up. You can see this video on YouTube. I mean, he's pretty good, actually. He's good. You know, he has, you know versed his vocabulary so that he can throw out terms to make himself sound, smart, and legit. But he's he's not saying anything. He's saying, you know, we need to make sure that we have fair free elections and we will verify we have verified. Okay, can I see? No. Okay, well, why not? Well, whether you see and you believe, it doesn't matter, we have the proof. Okay, can I see it? No. Of course not. Of course not. Because when it comes to actual, tangible, visible proof, that's where it ends.
0: But if truth you can't... prove it, truth. You're respected, right? Right. right uh, Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. You're not allowing the second part of that equation because you haven't put out the information.
1: Because he can't verify,
0: it's not real. And you're doing it to the disadvantage of a lot of Americans who want to know the answer to this.
2: There's three million people's um, uh, own veracity on whether or not they're citizens in the balance here. We're not going to make a mistake. But that's we're going to do this. You, we're doing it. But you already accused them. Look, I'm not a politician. I'm just a guy. No, we're
0: volunteers, But that's an excuse. That's a convenience. Mm-hmm. You put it out there, got by all these righty sites. And made by it. the way,
1: all those little weird air breaks, that's the video. I don't know why it does that. That's not us.
0: It's way to the president. He's now putting it forth as truth. you got to show what you know. We will. But when?
2: When the time's right. Uh-huh. What does that mean, when the time's
0: right? The time is right right now. That's why we're here. You, I had to just bump into you in the hallway. You came here to talk about this.
2: Look at it this way. The technology exists for the federal government right now, mm-hmm. today, to match this data out and give us the answer, right? I don't know Homeland, that. Ho- Department of Homeland Security has the information. They can match it against the voter file, and they can give up,
0: won't they? I don't know that anything you're saying is true. Maybe. I don't know that they know who every non-citizen is who voted illegally in the United States. They will assume-
1: I know that you know that I know that we know. This is all horseshit. As soon they make the match. And as soon as
2: Attorney General Sessions orders that be done and... Well, hold on. So are you saying
0: you're waiting for somebody else to do something so they'll know the answer? Because I'm not waiting on the government
2: to I'm saying it's easier for them. For us, it's tedious. But what I'm saying is,
0: look, either you know or you don't. What I'm hearing from you is you think you'll be able to show it. No. What you're hearing
2: is that, that
0: I know, you just don't believe that I know. Well, why would I believe it if you don't show how you know it? Come on, I mean this is a this is a very silly circle that we're going yeah, sure. into right now. You say you can prove it. I say okay. Sure. I trust you. You can prove it. Show me. You say I will, but you're not. You, can you give me an estimated date?
1: And this goes round and round we go. Okay. Sorry, I just punched the mic because I'm so worked up. So this is the, these are the type of people that I mean. First of all, this dude just said himself, "I'm just a guy." Yeah, and it's these people that president trump looks to for information about things like voter fraud and the veracity of our free and fair elections that he won and so this should be a non-issue i don't understand if this is going to be an issue it should be an issue that we are bringing up not trump everything i mean is the whole world gone crazy seriously good god lady exactly exactly my thoughts do you know whose voice that was if you know whose voice that was, call in and tell me. 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9732. If you can tell me whose voice that was, I swear to you, I will give the first caller a prize. The first correct caller a prize. But you have a life. Oops. But you have a life. That was a different voice. That's I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about this voice. Good lady all right so there you have it i'll even give you same voice another phrase (laughs) that's when i blow it okay call in or email and if anyone gets it i'll give you a prize what that prize is oh you'll never know until i give it to you or until i send it to you but i can tell you this much it's a huge deal okay it's a big deal it's a huge prize it's the best prize at the best prizes I went to the best schools. I am worth a billions of dollars, okay? Okay? I have the best prizes. I'll give you the best prize. All right. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. We're gonna take a very short break. And then when we come back, we are going to talk about, we're gonna have we are gonna move on to our main story for the night. And that is this episode, if you didn't know, is called Dream Control. And you'll find out why right after this. <laughs> If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear a topic you would like to discuss or feel you have a tidbit that you could contribute, please don't hesitate to call in. I would absolutely love it. It would make my day. How about you, Brandon? Would it make your day? I don't really care. Great. The number to call is 718-928-9RFB. Again, that's 718-928-9732. And you know what? Even if you just want to call in and say hello, or better yet, call in and say, you suck. Go ahead. It would be just as delightful. Now on with the show. Yes. Now let's move on to tonight's main story, main topic, shall we? Let's do it. Lucid dreams. This episode is called Dream Control. Have you ever had a lucid dream? A lucid dream is a dream during which the dreamer is aware of dreaming. Ooh. A lucid dream is a dream during which the dreamer is aware of dreaming. During lucid dreaming, the dreamer may be able to exert some degree of control over the dream characters, narrative, and environment. Okay, The term lucid dream was coined by Dutch author and psychiatrist Friedrich von Eden in his 1913 article, A Study of Dreams, though descriptions of dreamers being aware that they are dreaming predates the term. That's unnecessary. That's hodgepodge. That's not not necessary to what we need to know. A lucid dream is a dream in which the dreamer is aware of dreaming. Have you ever had one of those? I have. I'm going to tell you my lucid dream story, okay? So, my lucid dream, I remember it very well. If you think about your dreams, usually, unless you keep a dream journal, how many times am I going to say the word dream between now and the end of the show? A lot. Um, if you keep a dream journal, then perhaps you remember your dreams more than most people. I don't, so the majority of my dreams go, go by the wayside fairly quickly after I have them. But I remember a very small amount of dreams, very vividly, and here's one of them. I was a young boy, probably eight or nine years old, and we had a very big house, and I'm the youngest of five children. I wish I had some spooky background noise. So I'm a young boy, and I'm in our big house. It's nighttime, and... I'm kind of following my brother, or maybe one of my older sisters, one of my older siblings has some friends over, and I'm kind of following them around like a younger brother does, and we're in the basement, and all of a sudden, the lights start to flicker, and things start to go a little haywire, and suddenly we can't get in touch with anybody. We thought our parents were there. We thought... There are adults around, suddenly it's just us. And the candlelight. And before I know it, someone knocks on the door. Somebody goes to get him, goes to the door. I'm getting a little freaked out as the youngest. And as the door flies open, you can feel the wind all the way to the basement the lights flash and we know we're in trouble now from there I remember being chased the feeling of being chased is a very specific feeling you know you're running so you're exerting energy but you're scared and you it's just kind of like your stomach drops and I just remember from there once that front door flung open It was every man for himself. And I was the youngest. So I couldn't run as fast as all the other kids in this dream. So I remember we were being chased by like this little dwarf. But he was... He was mean and he was actually some kind of demon in disguise. And he was chasing us. And I remember... I remember he was chasing me up the stairs. And I was falling behind all the other kids. And I knew... That I was doomed. He was going to catch me. I would be the first one to get caught. And I remember starting to cry. You know just the feeling of fear just rising in me. And I remember running out. Running down the steps. Because like I said this was a big house. So we had steps that went up. And then there were some other steps that went down on the other side of the house. So. I remember running up the stairs. Seeing everyone else run even further up some other stairs. And so I just went went off on my own knowing that i was never going to catch up with the older kids i ran down the steps through the kitchen through the dining room out the front door and it was nighttime and it was rainy and stormy and this little guy this demon guy was still chasing me he chased me down through the front yard across the driveway down almost to the to the edge of our yard and that's when i running down the driveway running through our front yard is when it start to, started to hit me this can't be real This I have to be dreaming this, this has to be a dream and I don't know honestly to this day I don't know what ha- what in the dream triggered that realization I don't know I don't know what because I've had other scary dreams and I've never once thought well this can't be real but in this dream in this particular dream I did And as I was about halfway through our front yard, I thought to myself, this can't be real. This has to be a dream. And I even had the, you know, I even had the presence of mind to think, if this is a dream, well, then that means it's in my head and I must be in control. And man, from that second forward, that nightmare was transformed by me into one of the coolest, most exciting dreams I've ever had. I literally, once I had that realization, I literally just kind of, kind of wiped that demon away. I just kind of like snapped my fingers and he vanished. I then, with my hands, with my arms, turned night into day. I literally raised the sun. So all the stormy, scary night had now become a sun, sunlit day. And I thought, well, I can do anything. I can do anything. And from that moment on, I did. I could fly. I could, I could, I mean, I had magical powers. I could, you know, create situations where all my best friends were, a pool, a theme, uh, you know, an amusement park, uh, all sorts of stuff and i woke up when i woke up i was i had the best feeling it was the best it was truly one of the best dreams i've ever had now so that was a lucid dream i came to the realization i was dreaming and i totally flipped the situation around i changed everything it went from a nightmare a scary nightmare where i was being chased by a demon to a beautiful magical dream where i could fly I could have magical powers. I could, you know, bring my friends together with a snap of a finger. It was, it was, it was amazing. Now here's what's always kind of really confused me ever since. There have been a small handful of occasions. Like I said, I think I had that dream when I was fairly young. And since then I've had maybe, I don't know, at least two or three dreams in which I thought to myself, I'm dreaming, this is a dream. And I even thought to myself, okay, so like that first dream, if this is a dream, then I must be in control. I can do whatever I want because it's all in my mind. However, in these subsequent dreams, when I tried to raise the sun, when I tried to fly, when I tried to have magical powers, it didn't work. It didn't work. Why? The only thing I can possibly think of is, is maybe I didn't, maybe in the subsequent dreams, I had a shadow of a doubt in my mind. Because in that first dream, right when I, when I came to the realization, this must be a dream, I thought, well, then I can control, it's in my mind, I have the power. And I did. In these other dreams, I came to the realization it was a dream, but maybe I wasn't sure. And so that seed of a doubt made it impossible for me to really kind of control. I don't know I honestly don't know. I've always wondered, and I wanted to know I wanted to know what that was about and why that might have been the case ever since. but the reason I even thought to speak of lucid dreams here tonight is because I recently heard a story about someone else who had actually. Didn't have a lucid dream, had a a recurring dream. Have you ever had one of those? A dream that you just have over and over and over again for one reason or another. And he had to turn to lucid dreaming, pretty much teach himself how to make this dream a lucid dream in order to get rid of it. It was a fascinating story. Once again, I have played clips from this show before because it's a great show. Um, I heard the story on NPR during a show called Radiolab, which, by the way, if I had just told my story, my dream story on Radiolab, there would have been all kinds of sound effects and mood music and stuff like that in the background because they have the bucks, the big bucks over there at NPR, you know, those rich people at NPR. But anywho, this is the story taken straight from Radiolab, I admit admitted, um, that really what got me wanting to talk about this. It's unbelievable. And I wanna share it with you folks here tonight. So here it is. So this guy's Steve Volk. He's a reporter. A city
3: reporter here in Philadelphia. I write about courts, crime, politics.
4: But the thing that I read was a personal story of Steve's. Story starts with Steve in his early 20s and one night he goes to sleep.
3: Right. So I, I have this dream where I wake up in my apartment There's nobody there but me, and I'm just sort of pacing around the rooms. And I feel that sort of, that kind of um, tremor or buzz, almost, that something bad's about to happen.
4: That that feeling when, like, the walls kind of close in on you a little bit? I could just feel
3: that something's about to happen. And I look over at the window, and there's this
4: face. Outside his window, this man just hovering there. And then he sort of recedes
3: back into the dark. And comes back again. And so it sort of bob up to where I could see it and then recede back into the distance. And it was very, very um, threatening. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I just think that this, this person's trying to scare me intimidate me
4: so he, he he waits there for a minute and a moment later Steve hears this knock oh at his front door he knows immediately it's this guy and so I start hollering
3: using every expletive I know you know you, you, you're gonna you're gonna scare me I start daring him to come in so I can kill him and I have this rage that uh, you know I don't I don't know that I've ever really felt in real life. So much rage that it made me feel sick. He's just screaming at the door
4: over and over. Come in here so I can kill you. It was really violent. And then all of a sudden, this guy just kicks open the door. And we fly at each other.
3: We're both swinging and and grabbing each other.
4: And then I wake up,
3: literally with my fist, you know, my hand balled into a fist, and I've just thrown a punch at the air. And he's, and he's in an just absolute panic. Very, very profoundly disturbing dream.
5: But it's just a dream.
6: Yep.
4: But the thing about this dream is that it wouldn't go away. M- meaning? Like, any time there was any sort of anxiety that flared up in his life. Work deadline, relationship, family troubles. Back again. And every time, the same thing. This face that comes up out of the dark. The face, the window, the door, the that, fight. You know, I wanted it to go away. And so this is
3: something, this, this persisted for how long? I would say I had this dream at
5: least six times a year for about 20 years. 20 years? 20 years. So he must have had it like
3: hundreds of times so yeah i I, it was a dream that i wanted to be done with and i wasn't sure how to be done with it but
4: a couple years ago steve starts working on this book basically looking at things that are kind of out there on the edge of science but he's looking at them in this objective investigative way and one of the things that he ends up bumping into is uh lucid dreaming
5: Lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming. So this is where, like, you wake up inside your dream. Like, you're awake.
4: You're, yeah, you're awake. You're present. You're aware. You can control what's happening in your dream. Yeah, you know, let me just ask you.
5: Really? I mean, I've seen Inception. I've heard people say that they have lucid dreams, but I just always assume those people just don't know what they're talking about. They, They're actually referring to something else.
4: Yeah, it seems crazy, and for a long time. Western science denied lucid dreaming happened. Yeah. It didn't exist. But the more Steve looked into it, he realized that, like, the science behind this is real. It is. Yeah. So... Sell me. We're going to start with this guy, Stephen LeBurge. Stephen LeBurge. So, in the late 70s, LeBurge goes to Stanford. He wants to study consciousness. The reason he does is because he's actually, he's grown up his entire life claiming to have lucid dreams.
5: He claims he's been controlling his dreams all his life. Yeah, yeah. But
4: at the same time, he's also a scientist. So he had to find a way
5: to show people objectively that lucid dreaming exists. Wait, hold up. How would you even go about doing that? Because if, if it's a dream, it's only in your head. So how can you prove something that's only in your head?
4: So that that actually takes us back to leburge 's advisor. A guy named William Dement. William C. Dement. Dement. And He's conducting all these sleep studies at the Stanford Sleep Science Center. And one of the things he notices when people go into this dream state, their eyes behind their eyelids, they begin to just dart around like crazy. They go diagonally, sideways. Basically what we know is REM. Or rapid eye movement. Right. But one day, DeMent has this subject, and he's watching this guy, and this guy's eyes, when he, when he goes into REM, out of nowhere, his eyes go from craziness to this like really slow, controlled pattern, left to right and left to right, and left to right, and to men. I was so intrigued that he immediately went and woke them up
3: and said, do you remember what you were dreaming? And they said, yeah, I was watching a ping-pong match.
4: ba um, bump, right? I mean, it sounds like a joke. Um, but but for LaBerge, this is okay, like so a total cool. revelation. I mean, think about it. If if you are in a dream and you, like, wave your hands around or you shout, you're not moving or anything on the you know in the real world. But... If you move your eyes in a dream, someone sitting out there in the real world will actually see your eyes move. They'll see that. It's like this little hidden line that you can use to call out from the dream world to the awake world. And so Stephen
3: LaBerge figures, okay, what I'm going to do then is have somebody monitor me while I sleep. And once um, I'm dreaming and become aware that I'm dreaming, I will issue two Smooth
4: controlled eye movements in other words, I'm gonna go to sleep and and when I become lucid in my dream I'm gonna move my eyes left right left right and then you out here in the real world You'll see my eyes actually move left right left right and that way You'll know that I am lucid in my dream, huh? Controlling what's going on. That's pretty cool. So, LeBurge gets all hooked up to the machines, and uh, his assistant sits there watching his eyes go all crazy. And then, suddenly, instead of herky jerky movement, his assistant sees smooth,
5: controlled movements left, right, left, right, left,
4: right. The same pattern they'd agreed on. Exact same pattern. And they were sure that LeBurge was deep asleep during this. Pattern making? Yeah, yeah. They were watching. They were watching on the uh, the EEG machines that he was in a deep sleep when he made that pattern signal. So he was conscious while he was unconscious. Is what you're saying? Correct. He was lucid.
5: Okay. And he was able to repeat this.
4: Yeah he he went on and uh, ended up replicating this with a lot of other people. He published it. Yeah, he published it.
5: Like in a journal, not like not just on the web. Yep. Wow.
4: And you won't find, at this stage, you won't really
3: find credible dream researchers denying the reality of lucid dreaming. So. You will find them ignoring it
4: routinely. Steve gets in touch with LaBerge, who turns out is doing these workshops now, teaching people how to have lucid dreams. How to have lucid dreams? On command. This is something you can learn? You can learn how to do this, yeah. LaBerge has discovered a lot of uh, different techniques for this. He's got techniques. What are the techniques? So, first of all, to become lucid in a dream, you have to realize in the dream that you're dreaming.
5: Yes. Which is kind of like, how do you... How do you do that in a dream?
4: You actually, what you do is you you practice in the waking world. You become like hyper aware of certain things that work differently in the dream world than they do in the waking world.
5: Like what?
3: One of the most
4: uh, easy for people to follow
3: is... um,
4: print like text when you're awake text is text but text in a dream changes really dramatically from moment to moment right now there's
3: a viewsonic monitor across from me and when i look away from it and look back it still says viewsonic however in a dream when you look away from it because it has no external reality when you look back it could be anything it could be
4: nuclear launch codes could be poetry the point of all this is to zero in on things that make you question am i awake or am i dreaming it's called a state test
3: and what ends up happening if you start doing this in real life is you end up being in a dream and because you've asked yourself this question a dozen times that day am i awake or am i dreaming
4: that that thought will occur to you in the dream and if it does that might that might open the door to actually becoming aware And taking control. Man, you are more than halfway there at that point. So Steve, he started trying all this out, uh, doing all these state tests, but it wasn't really working. So he ended up calling LeBurge's assistant.
3: And I called her, and we talked through different techniques in the book, and then
4: we talked about this nightmare. And when she heard about his nightmare, she actually suggested a different technique.
3: In Waking Life, imagine the dream as it happened, and then find the point at which You would like to gain lucidity. Something happens, something shifts, and this is the point where you'd like to become lucid. And
4: he decided, when the face first appears in the window... That's the moment. That very specific moment.
3: ...when I want to gain awareness. And so I would imagine myself doing this over and over.
4: Face, awareness, face, awareness. And then, one night, he goes to sleep. I'm I'm walking through my apartment. Nobody there but me.
3: And I feel that sort of familiar buzz of anticipation.
4: Something bad's about to happen. And I look into the window and there's the guy. Just like usual. But this time, he says, I was there. You're there and then
3: suddenly you're there? Yeah. It's like my perspective shifts and I am in this Body in this place, not observing something, but in it. So I could feel, you know, my fingers tickling my palms. I could feel my feet on the floor. I locked into these feelings because they make the dream more stable. And I wanted this dream to be stable because this face has been showing up in this window for 20 years and it, it does its thing it recedes, it it comes back and I go to the door and I reach for the door and the handle is a door handle it feels that real and I turn it and I a moment or two later the guy appears in the doorway and there's this moment where we look at each other Face to face, and he's this total nondescript guy, really like any old beer-drinking dude. So he looks at me, and he's clearly perplexed because we're not going through our usual dance. You know, and I kind of backed up to give him room. Guy walks in, we're standing there looking at each other, and uh, I hadn't thought about what I would actually say. I just, I just thought I'd let him in. What is the guy do? Well, he pulls out a gun. At this point, when he pulls this gun out, the whole dream in this moment now becomes for me a kind of battle between what I know to be true, which is that this is a dream and it has no external reality, and the natural feelings of fear that crop up when somebody who's already been terrorizing you for 20 years has now pulled out a gun. And he is really carefully looking at me. Like waiting for me to go back to my normal reaction. So he pulls the gun uh, up now and points it at me. Looking at me like, okay, now are you going to do what you usually do? Now are you afraid? And in my head I'm just like, it's a dream, it's a dream, it's a dream, it's a dream. And so I just stand there. and he starts firing My first reaction is to look down at myself, right? To look at my chest and my stomach. And I can see that my shirt is just sort of billowing with each impact. With each bullet. But there's there's no blood, there's no nothing. I'm not I'm not hurting. I am taking this and it's and it's nothing. I really feel, and I had this thought at the time, I'm Mia. I am Superman. This guy's firing bullets at me and nothing. I look up at him and he sort of looks at me and then he smiles and drops the gun by his side. And the sensation I had was like that message was like, see, you got it. You got it. I'm nothing to be afraid of at all. And I woke up still feeling like Neo, still feeling like Superman. And I have never had that dream. It's never new. had it again. It's gone. It's gone. My dream is gone.
1: All right. So that is, I mean, is that not an awesome story? Oh, I love hearing that. Uh, first of all, the profoundly disturbing dream that he tells in the beginning about this, this face. And by the way, um, did the sound effects and music not amp that up? 5,000% had I had those when I was telling you about my story about being chased through the front yard and I could feel this demon gaining on me. And then I realized it was all in my head and I turned night into day and blah, blah, blah. I think my story would have been a lot more intense and entertaining had I had all the, all the bells and whistles that they had. But the point is, we're talking about lucid dreaming, lucid dreaming in that point, in that sense I mean that saved that guy. Can you imagine? See, you know what's interesting as well is that when you're having a recurring dream, why don't you know that you're dreaming the second the second time you have it? Right? Because you had this dream once before, you woke up and obviously knew it was a dream. So then if you start if you start having the same experiences and seeing the same characters, that you had and saw in that dream why wouldn't it tip you off right then and there well oh my gosh i've i've been here before i've seen this before oh my gosh this is that dream i'm dreaming but it didn't and it doesn't i you know i've had a one recurring dream ever in my life that i can remember pretty nondescript i mean it was late at night my dad and maybe a sister or something and i were walking down the streets of, I think Chicago. And this woman, as she we were walking one way, she was walking the other way. She just kind of stared at me, and just stared at me and stared at me all the way as she came past us. And as she as we she walked by, she continued to stare at me and then just kind of started to laugh. I only had the dream like twice, but I myself did not ever think, well, this is weird. I've I've been through this before. Oh, I must be dreaming. That's just not how it works. But apparently you can train yourself and teach yourself how to become lucid in dreams. Now, through all of the information we heard there, the only technique that I picked up on that I might be able to use is that of print. Being, They basically said that in order to use this in dreams, you have to become so hyper-aware in your waking life of what things say around you um, you have to become hyper-aware of printed materials around you that it just becomes second nature for you to double-check stuff, to look at a sign that says Broadway, look away and look back to make sure it still says a Broadway, because if, if you're dreaming, it probably will not still say Broadway. There is no base reality in that text. So it could say Broadway, then you look away and you look back and it could say shittsville Who knows? But that's what that's what you that's what should tip you off. But who thinks to do that? Not me, but I guess that's what you'd have to do if you wanted to um get in touch with your dreaming self and figure out whether or not you're dreaming. But here's my point. So and here's my question, I guess I should say. Like I said before. We listened to that clip. There were a couple of occasions after that lucid dream I had when I did realize I was dreaming, when I did, um, when I did kind of become lucid in dreams. But for one reason or another, I couldn't do what I did in that first lucid dream, which was control everything, bring the sun up you know, delete characters who may, who I may find, you know, uncomforting or whatever. I didn't have the same power in my subsequent lucid dreams that I had in that first one. And I would like to know why, if you listen to that story, um, the one we heard from Radiolab, when you think about it, so what did he do when he became lucid? He didn't do a whole lot. He didn't, he didn't, you know, I think maybe this speaks to my imaginative brain, especially as a young kid. My first thought was to be magical, to have magical powers to raise the sun to blah 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 to fly. His wasn't he didn't say oh i'm 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 aware, I know this is a dream, I'm going to bring the sun up, make this guy disappear, and throw a party in here in this whatever no, all he did was open the door. the man that usually busts the door open and stand there instead of fight with him so his lucidity i mean all it did was help keep him calm when that gun got pulled out which in a way which you know did the job because it kind of got him to realize that this was not something he needed to be afraid of and he never had that dream again fascinating um but i guess it kind of gets to i guess it kind of gets to um you know, the power of dreams in a general sense. Um, If you know, if anyone watches Through the Wormhole, or really any, if you're interested in science at all, nowadays, probably one of the most famous um, scientists alive, besides Stephen Hawking and um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, is um, Mikio Kaku. Or Michi- I think it's Mikio, Mi- Mikio or Michio Kaku, and um, here he is giving a brief kind of explanation on the science of dreams, now not lucid dreams but just dreams in a general sense.
7: There's a whole lore about dreaming, in fact Sigmund Freud uh, wrote a book called The Interpretation of Dreams which many people think is the, the, the foundation of psychoanalysis. Well, scientists now have looked at Freudian psychology and the brain using all these modern techniques. And first of all, we realize that perhaps Sigmund Freud wasn't totally wrong. There are many textbooks which simply dismiss Freudian psychology, calling it nuts. That is, nothing but the sexual fantasies of a a repressed, Venetian scientist of the last century. But now we realize there's more to it. First of all, the unconscious mind. We can actually see the brain in motion. And we realize that much of the activity is totally unconscious, just like what Freud predicted. And Freud also said there is the ego, the id, and the superego, that we are in a constant battle with our desires and our conscious. And we see that now with brain scans. The ego is basically your prefrontal cortex. That is who you are. When you wonder, where am I anyway, well, you're right there, you are sitting right behind your Uh, forehead. And then your desires. We see the pleasure center right there at the center of the brain. That is the libido. We see where the pleasure center is located. And then your conscience is right behind your eyes. The uh, orbital frontal cortex right behind your eyes is where your conscience is. And so we actually see that in motion. If you were to see a chocolate cake You would see these three parts of the brain going zippity back and forth like a ping pong ball because you're constantly debating the pleasure of eating a chocolate cake versus how fat you're going to become and all the sugar and the calories that you don't really need. So we see the beginnings of Freudian psychology coming out of of brain scans. And now dreams. Freud had a whole collection of interpretation of dreams. Scientists have looked at and said nonsense. Now we understand the physiology of the dreaming process, and we realize that it comes at the back of the brain, a very primitive part of the brain, and that certain parts of the brain are shut off when you dream. First of all, your prefrontal cortex is basically shut off, it's quiet. Your orbital frontal cortex, that is your conscience, is also shut off, but that part of the brain is your fact checker. The part of the brain that says, hmm, that's not right, something's wrong is right behind your eyes, that's shut off. What is active when you dream is your amygdala. And what what does your amygdala govern? Fear and emotions. And so right then you know that when you dream, the active part of the brain is not the fact checker, not the rational brain, it's the emotional brain, the fearful brain that is active when you dream. And then there's some superstition called lucid dreaming where you can actually control the direction of the dream. Well that superstition last year became science fact. At the Max Planck Institute in Germany, they were able to show once and for all that lucid dreaming is testable, reproducible, it is real. And here's how they did it. They took a person who was uh, about to go to sleep and told them that when you dream, clench your right fist and then clench your left fist. Now when you dream, you are paralyzed. You cannot move when you dream. Otherwise, we'd we'd be able to carry out all sorts of horrible things and destroy ourselves. So we are paralyzed when we dream. But when this person went into a dream state, you can clearly see that the brain initiated orders to clench your right fist and your left fist. In other words, he was conscious while he was dreaming. There are many Buddhist texts, many texts hundreds of years old that give you the outlines of how to control dreams, lucid dreaming. We now know that it's not hogwash that you can actually do this. You can actually direct the course of your dream. And then one day, we may be able to brain scan the brain as you dream and put it on a screen, in which case, somebody will be able to see you dream and know the direction of the dream and you are conscious of the process. In other words, the movie Inception is not totally hogwash.
1: Eek. That's kind of creepy to think about. Interesting there, he talked about lucid dreaming a little bit, a little bit. And he talked about it being testable and a fact. And then he brought up some... I thought he was going to talk about what we heard in the previous clip I played about the guy who went to sleep with a brain scanner on and dreamt about watching a ping pong match. And suddenly his eyes were going back and forth, and back, and forth, and back, and forth, but he didn't mention that, whatever, Michio Kaku, great scientist, interesting guy, and there you have it, so that's interesting though, so when you're dreaming, your base, your rational fact-checking brain is kind of turned off, so that would explain why we often see crazy stuff happen in our dreams, and it doesn't register that, huh, well that's crazy, I must be dreaming. However, if you remember my story, it did. In the dream that I started this whole discussion off with, I came to the realization, while running away from this dwarf devil, that this can't be real, this doesn't happen, it must be a dream. So what does that say? Am I some kind of a genius? No, I doubt it. I think it was just a coincidence, and I got lucky. But I still have yet to hear any explanation as to why I wasn't able to control my dream, my my subsequent lucid dreams, after that first one. I'll never understand it. I like how also in that clip he talked about Sigmund Freud and kind of just mentioned how a lot of scientists just think he was a crazy son-bitch. I think that's funny. Um... All right. So I was going to play one more clip because here is what there's a, there's an organization called the, I think it's called ASAP science. And they, you know, they have, they have a number of videos and testimonials and tutorials and whatnot, explaining various, um, the science behind various things. And they have one, um, it's called the science of lucid dreaming. And so because Meek, Michio, I can't, okay, Mikio. I'm going to say Mikio. Because Mikio Kaku talked about a lot of different things and only really touched on lucid dreaming, I'm going to play this one last explanation. It's about two and a half minutes long, and then we'll move on.
6: Dreams provide a world in which we escape from reality into the mind and seemingly have little control over what happens. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, I'll play this, but it's already annoying me. This is one of those organizations where they make videos and do stuff where it's like hey we're cool oh yeah this is hip let's talk about science and dreams but do
6: all right Dreams provide a world in which we escape from reality into the mind and seemingly have little control over what happens. But what if you could know you were dreaming and subsequently control the dream? It turns out, lucid dreaming is entirely possible, and with a little effort and practice, even you can do it. Now some of you might be saying, I don't even dream, but the truth is everybody has about three to seven dreams a night. The problem is we quickly forget them. The first strategy towards lucid dreaming is keeping a dream journal. Keeping the journal improves your ability to recall dreams and helps facilitate lucidity. So every time you wake up, write down what you can remember, even if it's nothing, just to form the habit. The next step is performing reality checks. In a dream, something as simple as reading a sentence, counting your fingers, or checking the time can often go astray. Try it right now. Look at the time, look away, and then look back. Assuming you aren't currently dreaming, the time probably stayed the same. However, in a dream, the time or the words you were reading will often completely change. The key is to do these reality checks often when you're awake. This way they become second nature and when you're dreaming you're likely to perform the same test and realize that something's wrong. After this comes a technique known as mnemonically induced lucid dreams, or MILD. As you're falling asleep, begin to think of a recent dream and imagine yourself becoming lucid. The idea is to reinforce the intention to realize you're dreaming in your dream. Keep repeating the phrase, I will have a lucid dream tonight. The highest rates of success tend to come if you wake up in the middle of the night, get up for 30 minutes, and then go back to sleep with these intentions in mind. Finally, once you've had success with MILD, an advanced technique known as wake-induced lucid dreams or WILD may be attempted. The idea behind this is to keep your mind aware while your body falls asleep. The risk here is that you'll experience sleep paralysis, a completely normal phenomenon that prevents your body from moving during sleep except you'll be awake, which can be somewhat frightening. The extra caveat with Wild is that during sleep paralysis, the brain can play tricks on you, inducing strong feelings of fear and causing hallucinations of dark and scary figures approaching you. Scientific research into lucid dreaming has provided an insight into the location of metaconsciousness in the brain, provided opportunities for dream therapy and nightmare recession, and even begged the question if sleep and wakefulness are distinct events or part of a continuum. After all, dreaming of doing something is almost equivalent to actually doing it when looking at the functional system of neuronal activity in your brain. So, are you sure you're not dreaming? Got a burning question you want answered?
1: Nope. Okay, that was fine. That gave some interesting information. I just wish they didn't have the stupid music in the background, and the guy doing the narration didn't sound like he was reading a middle school paper. But you know what? Something interesting. He mentioned sleep paralysis. Just that term kind of gives me the, the willies. I get sleep paralysis often because, um, as the, the kid mentioned, it's when you kind of keep your mind awake, keep your mind o- aware, even as you're falling asleep. Now, this happens to me often because I don't fall asleep. I, I, I don't go to bed without something playing in the background. I know a lot of people say, oh, my God, that's horrible. You can't get a full night's sleep. You can't get restful sleep. If you have crap playing in the background, I say, suck it. This is how I like to fall asleep. I like to have the news on. I like to have a podcast playing. It helps. I don't know. I need that. But the point is, I'm often listening to something, thinking about things, you know, be it a movie, a newscast, a podcast, whatever, as I'm laying down, getting tired, and eventually falling asleep. So my mind is aware, at least because I'm making it aware. I'm listening to this podcast. If, if someone's talking about the news of the day, I'm interested, so I want to hear it. So I keep myself aware. But as I'm falling asleep, you fall into this half-asleep, half-awake mode, which can cause sleep paralysis. And as the guy said, sleep paralysis is helpful because it keeps you from Acting out your dreams, like actually, it keeps us from getting up in the middle of the night and doing crazy stuff that we're dreaming about, hurting ourselves. Um, but when you're not quite asleep, it is really terrifying because you are awake. You can hear what's going on around you, be it a podcast, a boyfriend or girlfriend on the phone, or whatever. You can hear what's going on around you. You're awake but you can't move and it does because you are in a spot in a certain mindset where you're awake but you're half asleep so you you do I mean whenever this happens to me I do I start to have these terrible visions these terrible thoughts of like something coming at me something 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 going terribly wrong that I can't react to oh gosh sleep paralysis is scary man um But I guess that's another discussion for a whole nother show. Have you ever had a lucid dream? Do you want to have a lucid dream? Do you believe in these exercises they've laid out for you about becoming aware of what things say, telling the time, reading a brochure, counting your fingers or whatever? Is that something you would want to try? Let us know. You can send us an email. We are at nextbestradio at gmail.com right on our Facebook timeline, facebook.com slash nbt radio. Tweet at us, of course. We are at Next Best Radio. But most importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also, you can find us on TuneIn. Um, favorite us, like us, give us a review, give us four stars, whatever. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you very much. We love you. We love the crap out of you. Um, until next time, you know, we also are, you can also sponsor us. If you go to the radio free Brooklyn website and you go to shows and you click on next best thing, or better yet, if you just go to radiofreebrooklyncom slash show slash the hyphen next hyphen best hyphen thing, you get to our show page. And then if you scroll down, you'll see a button that says Sponsor This Show. Sponsor This Show. If you're listening and you like what you hear, or even if you don't like what you hear, and trust that it'll get better, sponsor this show. It would mean so much to us. Um, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you living. And we appreciate you, we will appreciate you a whole lot more if you were to sponsor this show. Um, really though, consider it because it would make a huge difference. Even if it's just a recurring donation of like $10 a month. Oh, you have no idea how much of a difference you would make to, to the next best thing and to really Radio Free Brooklyn as a whole. Please consider it. It would mean a whole lot to us. All right. So that's our show for tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope everybody stays happy, stays healthy, stays active. Remember, folks, apathy is the enemy. So stay active, stay aware, stay angry. And until next week, stay happy, stay healthy, much love. Signing off, I am Jonathan B. Lerner. You've been listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we'll see you next week. Stay happy, folks.